Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. So we're going to be in Luke chapter. This is my assignment. I, I got a good one. I landed on a good one. Uh, I got Luke chapter 17. We're going to be in eight verses. I believe it's 11 through uh, 19. I've titled the message, The Miracle, and I love this. I, I didn't plan this, but this is literally if I had one subject to talk about, if I was only allowed one subject from the scriptures to talk about the rest of my life in ministry, it would be this absolute word we're going to hit again today. It's this word mercy. I absolutely love it. So I've titled the message, The Miracle of Mercy. Uh, a couple years ago, when uh, we were smack dab in the middle of COVID, as if that wasn't rough enough, uh, I woke up one night. Again, I'm about to turn 50, so this is commonplace now. Uh, my older brothers and sisters will understand this, but I woke up in the middle of the night for the second time to use the restroom. Real fun, real fun. And uh, I was going to the restroom, and it was like a normal night. Everything was going well and fine, and I kid you not, about halfway, and I'm trying to be polite here, about halfway through um, doing my business, um, I uh, started sweating on my forehead. I, I woke up fine. I was just getting up to do what I normally do, and I start sweating on my forehead, and then all of a sudden, I start feeling something like shuffling in my stomach, and then all of a sudden, within about 20 or 30 seconds, I kid you not, I'm drenched in sweat, and I'm in some of the worst pain of my life. So I sat down on my bed and I said, I don't know what this is, but surely it'll pass. And it just kept getting worse and it kept getting worse. And finally, I woke my wife up with my drama and my groaning. <laughs> I'm not the toughest guy ever. I woke her up and she's like, what in the world's wrong? And I literally, the first thing I said to her is, we need to go to the emergency room. And I had, didn't know what was going on. My first assumption, because it was right here in my gut, my first assumption was that my appendix had burst, and I didn't ever have that happen, obviously, before, so I didn't know what that was like, but it was the only thing I could think of, and I'm like, we gotta go to the emergency room right now, and she's like, okay, and I'm like, we got, but the kids are here, and we got little kids, you know, young at the time, and, and it's like two or three in the morning, and she's like, but what about the kids? I'm like, call my dad. He's like, yeah, but he won't be able to be here for like 30 minutes. I go, I don't care. They're asleep. They'll be fine. We're going to the emergency room. So we literally get in the car, and we leave all of my kids asleep at home. My dad's not gonna be there for at least 20, 30 more minutes, and I didn't even care. I'm in the car. I can't literally sit in the seat, the passenger seat, while my wife's driving. My wife is the slowest driver. She's from Alabama, so everything's a little bit slower. I'll leave it there. Uh, but she's the slowest driver in the history. We've had more fights about her driving than anything we've fought about in our marriage. And she's literally like, she's going five over, ooh, to speed it up for me. I'm in, I'm prostrate, I'm in the passenger seat with like, you know when you're, when you're super spiritual and you're praying where you kneel at the, you know, I'm in that position, but it's not because I'm spiritual, because if you would have heard me talking, you would have known how unspiritual I was in that moment, and I am losing my mind. By far the most pain I had ever been in in my life. We get to the intake room, and I am a horrible human being. My wife is sitting there, it's COVID, so next to nobody's in the whole hospital, so in my mind, I'm like, oh, they just, they just, you know, they just put me right through but I still gotta go through all the protocol at intake, right? And there's no one there. I'm not, I'm not in a waiting line and I'm in misery and I hear my wife over there going through all the questions and then she finally looks over at me. I'm laying prostate, I kid you not. I'm laying prostate in the emergency room floor because for some reason sitting up hurt too bad and my wife looks at me and goes, uh, babe, what's your social security number again? <laughs> it's a bad time for that. And then being the godly pastor I am, my response was, who cares about my social security number? I'm in so much pain right now. I just need some medicine. Give me some medicine and then I can fill out all those stupid forms. Just take me back there. I literally asked my wife this week. I said, I think I'm gonna talk about this. Can you remind me what happened? Because And she was literally like, you were awful. 
She's like, I've given birth to four of your kids. Nothing you were going through is worse than that. And I never acted like that in the hospital. Well, they finally wheeled me back there. I'm a grumpy old man, probably yelling at everyone. I can't fully remember. But at some point, mercy came on the scene. In my desperation, mercy came on the scene. And mercy was manifesting itself in this other M word called morphine. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden... The, the, the worst human in all of Denver when I was going through was me, the meanest person on planet Earth. All of a sudden, within about one to two minutes of that morphine going into my bloodstream, I became the single nicest, hippiest person on planet Earth, was high as a kite, and my wife was even more embarrassed by what happened after I got the mercy than what happened before I got the mercy because I was literally, you know, I'm high as a kite, and I'm just thanking everyone. I'm starting to cry. because You ever had morphine before? That stuff is powerful, y'all. Like, and I don't have that very often in my life. And so I've never felt this way before. Nurses are coming in and I'm stopping them going, oh, sweetie. I don't even use that term with women. Sweetie, my wife said, I said, I, I'm like, what's your name? And I'm like, well, you're a frontline worker in COVID. And while everyone else is hunkering down at home, you're here and you're helping people like me. And I just want you to know how grateful I am. Where's my wife? Babe, Rachel, I love you so much. I, I don't think I tell you enough how much I love you and you're beautiful and I I couldn't do this thing without you, and thanks for driving me, and I'm sorry about what I said about the speed limit, but you drive so slow, and it's okay, and I'm just going off on this, this morphine-induced tangent with my wife, right? And it, it, was, it was amazing to me, and we, we laugh about it now, but I was, and she was telling me about this, you know, the, the day, I had to stay in the hospital for a day or so. Ended up, I had an ulcer, all right? I forgot to tell you that. I had an ulcer, and uh, if you've ever had one, it's awful. Okay, I had an ulcer. They got me all taken care of and good. I had to change some regimens, get all healthy and all that. But, but upon reflecting that, I, I thought about two things. I thought about what it means for us to be desperate for something that we can't give to ourselves, to be in complete and utter dependence on someone or something else to give us something that we absolutely need but don't necessarily deserve. I have given you guys this definition of grace and mercy time after time, right? It's getting what you most need from God when you least deserve it. This is why I love it because this is the gospel message. This is why I love touting the grace and the mercy of God everywhere I go. And I'm, I've told you before and I'm gonna say it again. I believe this with all my heart. Mercy is the chief currency in the kingdom of God. There's all kinds of currencies that we use in the kingdom of God. Love, honor, respect, kindness. There's all kinds. I mean, we could, we could do a whole series just called currency and talk about all the different currencies that the kingdom of God uses to make itself known. But I believe at the core of our faith, the reason why we meet here is this thing called mercy. I think it's not the only factor in our faith that distinguishes it from all other world religions, but it is the most important distinguishing factor we have in our Christian faith than all other approaches the world has to trying to, to meet or to know God. Because in every other religious approach, when you get to the core of it, what you'll see is a group of people who believe in whoever they believe God is and whatever name they give God, they are trying to climb the ladder to get back to them. There's something in the human soul that knows we lost something, right? We know from the book of Genesis, it's in that garden when that 
piece of fruit was eaten by Adam and eaten by Eve, something profoundly important was lost and it was broken. And the distinguishing factor is not in our Christian faith is not that we are climbing up to, to, to re-get what we lost in the garden, but that God climbed down. That, that Jesus came down to us to give us what we most needed, listen to me, when we least deserved it. And it is this thing called mercy. So the Apostle Paul says this, and I'm gonna use this verse to highlight Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I think this verse uh, just amplifies the principle of this story we're gonna look at. Paul says this, this is a classic verse, you're all familiar with it. He says, therefore I urge you for a city, Brothers and sisters, I urge you, and then here's the key that we bank on for the rest of the day because I'm talking to you this week about the miracle of mercy. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of what? In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. This is a magnificent statement that the Apostle Paul is making because he says, if you're really going to, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, if you're really gonna live holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and reasonable form of worship, and I think you came here today because that's a desire of your heart. We're all doing different on the spectrum of how holy and pleasing we are living our lives to God right now, but I believe every single person, no matter where you're at in life right now, you came to church. You took the time to get dressed and get ready, get your family ready. You came here because you genuinely wanna be holy and pleasing to God, and the Apostle Paul is telling us that the pathway to us pleasing God, to living lives that are worthy of prayer, lives that are meaningful, to living life and life to the fullest is you have to keep God's mercy in full view all the time. And I don't know about you, but that's way easier said than done for me. Nothing has held my heart more accountable to trying to become the human I was originally intended to be from my mother's womb that I lost in this life because of sin. Nothing has held my heart more accountable to being reconciled back to God, being sanctified by God, being changed by God so I can live a life that glorifies God. Nothing has done more to hold my heart accountable towards that than constantly reflecting on the fact that at the end of the day, I am a product of his grace and his grace alone through Christ and through Christ alone. That name we sang about, the name above every name. Think about it. I wrote this in my notes. You cannot walk anymore in a spirit of pride and arrogance when mercy's kept in full view. Those two can't play in the same room together well at all. Pride, the Bible says, goes before destruction and a haughty or arrogant spirit goes before a fall. God doesn't ever wanna see the fall of man again and so you know what it is that holds the heart most accountable to not being people of pride and arrogance? We as Christ followers, in theory, should be the most humble people on planet earth, should we not? You cannot walk in the spirit of humility which God exalts if you do not keep mercy in full view. You cannot speak ill of people anymore when you constantly keep mercy in full view. You can't stay bound in the shackles of unforgiveness when mercy is in full view. The spirit, this is so toxic to a, a, a full life, the spirit of entitlement cannot remain when a person keeps God's mercy in full view. 
Discord, factions, disunity cannot remain when mercy is in full view. You can't help but to start do radical kingdom things like love your enemy and pray for perse- and pray for those who persecute you when mercy is in full view. And so we're going to just see this moment in Luke chapter 17 where mercy again is a miracle that God gives to a group of 10 people. This is the healing of the 10 lepers. Starting in verse 11, and I'll read three verses and then we'll pause and talk about it. I'm gonna break this up into the the way I think the text breaks it up. I'm gonna break it up into three different thoughts here. It says this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border. This This is important. The border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy, leprosy, you think ulcer's bad? Leprosy, way worse. It's fatal. 10 men who had leprosy met him They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, and what's the refrain of their heart? Jesus, master, have what? Mercy on us. We need something we can't get for ourselves, not saying we deserve it, but it's something we desperately need to be restored back to not only a longer life, but to be restored back to the community, the family, and the people that we deserve to be with. Now, the first thing I noticed when I started reading this story and preparing for this weekend, it blessed my heart so much. It just, it just reminded me about the power of mercy, and it is this. Do you notice the geographical location that Jesus is in? When this story takes place, he's smack dab in between Samaria and Galilee. Now, we've talked about this before because it comes up multiple times in the book of Luke, but let's just, and if you're newer to church, let's just go back and remind ourselves some historical and geographical context here. The, uh, the, the Samaritans and the Jews right on the border that lived in, in, in Galilee were at complete enmity with one another, hostile to one another. Let me say the truth. They hated each other. And I won't get into all the historical reasons because we've covered this before, but just take, take my word for it. These nations were at odds with each other in the biggest way. It's kind of like we see uh, the turmoil in our lifetime, the, the, the last several generations of the turmoil between the Jews in the Middle East and, and the, um, oh gosh, what's, what, what's, what's their neighbor's name? Yeah, Palestine, right? Like, it it was that kind of turmoil. Now, Jesus is right in the middle of those two places, and what kind of community has formed? A leper community. Right in between two factions that are completely ununified, they hate each other, they want to kill each other, they fight against each other, they speak horrible of each other. It's factions, and it's disunity, and it's disorder. All of a sudden, there's this new community that's being formed. Can I remind you that the gospel for all of the things it does, one of the things Jesus came to do was form a new community and break down walls and break down factions and break down borders. This is what the gospel does. Right in the middle, there's 10 lepers. Now, uh, you can go and you can read commentary and you can read history, and the text even tells us that this leper colony of at least 10 people, could have been a lot more, but there's 10 in this story, of at least 10 people was a mixture of Samaritan lepers and Galilean Jewish lepers all of a sudden coming together. What, what was the cry they gave when, when the savior of the world walks through their colony? Jesus, master, have what? Mercy on him. Isn't it amazing that the one thing that has the power to break down factions and discord and prejudice and racism, which is what those two had deeply against each other, they were host- hostily racist toward you. Isn't it amazing that the one thing that can put all of that in the rearview mirror and create a new community 
is every human recognizing how desperate they are for the mercy of someone that is bigger than them? Isn't that amazing for all the things we try to do to politicize our way through, through healing and we try to use all these different tactics and all these different ways and we fight with each other and we, we, we want everyone to kumbaya and get along. Isn't it amazing that the one thing that will even nationally hold us accountable is when humans start to recognize that if not for the mercy of God, I am toast. This is my life story, you all. And I say it proudly up here. If not for the mercy of God, Chad Brugman wouldn't be around anymore. Chad Brugman would have destroyed his life so long ago. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is in the midst of this beautiful, everyone would have judged this community because they're the lepers. They're the worst of the worst. Everyone in the Jewish culture believed that you got leprosy as judgment from God for your sins. Wasn't true. We now know that scripturally. We now know that in retrospect. Wasn't true. But the smartest, most brilliant, listen to me, most healthy people between Samaria and Galilee were these 10 lepers. And the reason I say they were the healthiest, even though they had a life-destroying disease, was because they understood something that Galilean Jews and the Samaritans had long forgot, which is, if not for the mercy of God, I am toast. And now all of a sudden, because of desperation, because here's, here's, the, here's the truth. Some of you walk in here today desperate. And it's hard what you're going through. Not all of you, but some of you right now, you're desperate. You're between a rock and a hard place or you're at the end of your rope. Can I just tell you from my own experience and then I couple that with what I see in the word of God, God's tangible felt presence and activity in your life is at some of its best when you're in a rock and a hard place. Can I just encourage you today, if that's you, you want to see the power of God in your life? Well, God just loves to hang around rocks and hard places. You want to see the power of God in your life? God loves to meet you at the end of your rope. It's in your weakness, Paul told us, where his power eventually becomes perfect. His grace will be sufficient for you. These guys are not only between a rock and a hard place. These guys are at the absolute end of their rope. And so they know what everybody else in Samaria and Galilee had forgotten, that if we don't get mercy, we are dead. It was the mercy of God that broke down the hostility, the walls of hostility between these Samaritans and these Jews. And it was all centered around the fact that they were desperate. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2.14 says one of the chief marks of the gospel is that when it's happening effectively, it starts to, and I quote, break down walls of hostility. This is exactly what's happening here. But then as we continue to go on, this is the second thing I see in the story, and I'll just, I'll just camp on one verse for a few minutes. Verse 14, it says this. When he saw them, Jesus, so they just cried out for mercy, Nothing will attract the heart of God to a human situation more than when you cry out for mercy. Nothing. He just sees them. He just hears this. And here's what he says to him. This is interesting. Go show yourselves to the priests. We'll talk about that because that matters. But then listen to what he says. As you go show yourself to the priests, as they went, what happened? They were healed. They were cleansed. Now, this is weird because what Jesus was saying, the Jewish lepers in that colony would have immediately understood. They probably would have had to start explaining it to the Samaritan lepers. 
Because when Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, he was talking about a holy command from the Mosaic law. You can read about it specifically in Leviticus chapter 14, verses, I believe, 1 through 11, is where they give the cleansing rites for lepers. And this is when someone was healed in the community of leprosy. They would go to the priests. They would go to the temple. They would go through a series of different kind of washings that they had at the time to test and see if they had really been healed from leprosy. And if they were healed from leprosy after these cleansing rituals, they would get instantly put back into community, which is what humans were designed for most, right? At the end of the day, community. They were gonna get to hug their family members again. They were gonna get to live and see their family members again. They were gonna get to work an honest day's work and earn an honest day's wage again. All the things that they had forfeited because of this disease. So Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, the reason this is interesting is because this is what you did after you were healed. Not when Jesus is around. Jesus does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Because he's the creator of all this, right? And Jesus said, yeah, go show yourselves to the priests. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm adding to the text here a little bit just some of my hopefully holy imagination, but I picture like the, 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 at least the Jewish guys going, Jesus, look, you're our only hope. We're at your mercy. But that's what we're supposed to do after we're healed, not on the way, like, right? Like, could you just like do, because there was another point in scripture. Uh, we may have even preached about it already in the Luke series where he heals an individual with leprosy. And he does it totally different, does he not? That time, the person just says, uh, Jesus, if you're willing, would you have mercy on me? And Jesus says, oh, I'm absolutely willing to give you what you can't give to yourself, but that which you most need, even if you don't deserve it, of course. And then it says, Jesus does what? He does what rabbi would never do with someone with leprosy because it makes you ceremonially unclean. He touches his head and says, be clean. And then he goes on his way. This would have been folklore at this point with these 10 lepers, specifically the Jewish lepers. So they gotta be imagining, okay, as soon as we plead for mercy, if he's gonna, if he's gonna heal us, he's gonna touch each one of our head at a time and say, be healed, I'm willing, be healed, I'm willing, be healed, I'm willing. And then they go show themselves to the priest. But what's he say? He says, go show yourselves to the priest. And then here's the most beautiful thing. As they went, they were cleansed. This text is teaching us something about the merciful healing work of Jesus, and it is this. We get to play a little beautiful part in God's mercy. He's invited us into this process, and the part we get to play is just this. It's real simple. It's obedience. Now, when I say obedience, the room kind of quiets down, stiffens up a little bit. I know, because I'm the same way. Because we have, we, have, we have probably from birth always attached obedience to either fear right? The parents put in the fear of God and you don't obey. We've attached it to, to, to really scary outcomes if we don't obey. We've attached it, listen to this, Forest City, this is important. We've attached it to religious activity. Like, how do I prove I'm, I'm a Jesus person? Well, I gotta out-obey out people. I gotta out-obey the person. How do I feel good about myself? I have to see how other people around me obey, and then I gotta do a little bit better, right? Which is, which is crazy. L listen, I want us to reframe our thinking because this, because, because this has everything to do with mercy and healing. I want us to reframe our thinking today about obedience. Every one of Jesus' commands 
for us in this lifetime, even the ones that are hard to intellectually wrap your mind around, his motive in giving us these commands is onefold. It is to bring healing and wellness and wholeness to your body, your soul, and your spirit. You understand this? When I started getting a revelation of this, it changed my desire to be holy. It went from this scary thing. It went from this man that's just too much. And it, it went from me always just feeling horrible about all the ways I fall short. And all of a sudden I said, man, this is gonna be hard for me to obey because everything in Chad Brugman's flesh wants to do the opposite. Everything in my flesh wants to do the easier thing right now. But I have to come back to the fact that every command God gives us is for the sake of having mercy on us. Mercy on our bodies, mercy on our minds, mercies on our spirits. Obedience is adding healing properties to what we lost in the Garden of Eden, what we were born into, which is this very real, unfortunate thing called sin. There's, there's even this one line that the Apostle John has in one of his small epistles, I think it was 2 John, where he's riffing away about the gospel, and then he just stops and he says, oh, by the way, God's commands are not burdensome. I remember the first time as a new believer I read that and I went, they're pretty burdensome. Because I've been doing the opposite my whole life. I've just now given my life to Jesus and I'm reading about all these radical commands and I'm reading about all of these different shifts in my mindset and in my lifestyle and I can't come close to performing these out. And I remember reading that going, easy for you to say, John. You're like a martyr. You're like special guy. You're like professional level Christian. I'm new at this. But over the years... What I've tasted and seen when I've, the fruit of obeying God is that it's for me. It's not to impress God. God is fully impressed because when he sees us, he sees the cross of Jesus Christ. Can we remind ourselves of the purest gospel today? God is impressed with us because he has Jesus in you that he sees. He sees perfection. Is he still working on us? Practically, yes, but we are justified by grace through faith. It is not of works lest any of us in this room would ever start boasting. When God gives you a command like he gives them, go and show yourself to the priest. That makes no sense on paper. That's backwards to how they had been taught. But you know what starts to happen when they just obey because they trust Jesus even when it doesn't make sense? They start to get healed on the way. It's like this progression in healing. And I wonder how much of us in this room, myself included, would find so much healing if we just start taking those first steps to obey God in new ways. And we all have different ways in here where we're obeying God, and I celebrate that with you. But we also, if we're honest, we all have ways in here where we know we're falling short of what Jesus has asked of us. I'll live with that tension for the rest of my life. But what gets me excited about this principle here is that now when I'm fighting that good fight of my faith to trust Jesus with every compartment of my life, the thing exciting now is if I can take those first hard steps to get away from my flesh and get back in step with the spirit, at some point there is going to be a new degree of wellness and healing and wholeness. And listen to this, with all of that comes this beautiful thing called integrity. And the, the book of Proverbs says, integrity will guide you and it will, I love this, it will protect you. 
Your healing will protect you. Your wholeness will protect you. Your, your, the mercy of God constantly being stirred up and all he's done for you will be the one thing that keeps healing your soul. So that's what happens. And then the third thing is this. One of them, this is verse 15 we pick back up. And how am I doing time-wise, guys? You all know I'm back. I, I, I want, it's so beautiful out. I don't need to preach long today, right? Y'all need to, we're gonna, we're gonna worship God as a church by being outdoors today. Don't you dare go home and sit down. Don't you dare go home and sit down. I gotta sit on a plane all day. Do it for me. I grew my hair out for you bald guys. You go out and play in the sun today for me. Do it for me. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, I love this guy, whoever he is, unnamed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Makes me think of like Lauren Carrington. Like, I love the irony of Lauren. Lauren, I, I wanna say, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. God gave you like Mother Teresa tininess. Like you were tiny in stature. Don't you love the irony of God? This woman who's tiny in stature is up here and she's a giant when she starts to worship God. Don't you love that? I love it. Just receive it. Just take it. It's true. It's true. Girl, you know it's true. Don't you love that though? But I, I think of this guy and, and, and when, when Lauren's up here, if you get to know her, not, not the worship leader that you see, but when you start to get to know her or Carrington as a person, you start to realize, oh, that jumping and dancing on stage that's coming from a place of sheer and utter gratitude. These two people have tasted and seen the goodness of God. They have repeatedly tasted the mercy of God, and this is why I think he empowers and gifts them to lead because there's something in them. Did you just see me jump? It's not as good as her. I'm not gonna try. I live through you. Like, I let you do it for me. But, but you guys know what I'm talking about? One of the 10 comes back and he's praising God in a loud voice. Like, how could you not? You were about to die. And now all of a sudden, you got so many years added on to your life and you don't have that sickness anymore. He's just been reinstated to community. Jesus asked, or he came back praising God in a loud voice. And then I love this. He threw himself at Jesus's feet. Remember Romans 12 said that in view of God's mercy, one of the things you'll do is offer God your what? Your body as a living sacrifice. And that means so many things bigger than just having a moment with Jesus after he healed you, but he's literally offering his voice. He's, he's, he's in a loud voice praising God and then he falls prostrate at Jesus's feet because it's like, I need my body to tell you what my heart already knows, which is how thankful I am for you. I gotta let my body be a metaphor for how my heart feels right now because I was about to die and you just came and you saved my soul. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him and then it says he was a Samaritan. And I just had this thought, I love this guy because he was so desperate to get healed, got healed, and then was equally as desperate to get back to Jesus to fall at his feet and thank him. Isn't that beautiful? I want to be like, I'm not there yet, but I just wrote hashtag goals in my notes. I want to be as desperate to thank Jesus every day as I am to request things from him every day. That's what I want. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are all the other nine? 
Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? He's kind of going, that's irony. Because Jesus told us in the Gospels, it's in Luke too. He's like, I came first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And and if you're new to scripture, please understand this. It's not because Jesus loves Jews more than Gentiles. He loves people, period. But he always works with order. And he had chosen from the foundation of the world to use a bloodline called the Jews, Israel, to grow something from their nation, a tree, if you will, that all the other nations could be grafted into. Branches could be put on there. And, and he just, he had to choose someone. So for whatever reason, he, he's God, he gets to do it. He chose Israel and he said, I, I first and foremost came here to minister to the Jews and not one of the Jewish lepers came back to thank me. But this guy who didn't grow up knowing about me, this guy who didn't grow up hearing about me, this guy who's never been in a Jewish context, this guy who hasn't been uh, with his community waiting for a Messiah now, looking for a Messiah for thousands of years. He's the only one that came back to thank me. I started thinking about new believers and I started thinking about a bunch of my friends because see, I grew up a pastor's kid. So for the, it's a broken metaphor, but for this, so I'm more, I'm more like the Jew. I grew up with the bloodline. I grew up with the heritage. I was born into it. I didn't earn to serve it. I was in church way more than I ever wanted to be my whole life, like pastor's kid. But then as I grew older, I started seeing some of my friends come to faith that didn't grow up in the church. And you want to talk about a fun ride When someone gets saved and it is brand new to them, they don't have any baggage. They don't have any preconceived ideas. They don't have any context. They don't have any church hurt. They don't have any wounds. They're just simply coming to Jesus naively in the most divine way. They're some of the most zealous, beautiful, powerful, fruitful people on planet Earth, are they not? And I see that happening here. And I simply say that to say, if you're like me, Let's have a moment together. If you grew up with a rich heritage of church, we are the ones, ironically, that are most likely, if we're not careful, to take God's mercy and put it in the rearview mirror the fastest. This is what happened to the Jews in Jesus' time. Now, I don't fault them for it. They hadn't hugged their family and friends in who knows, maybe years. They probably just wanted to, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They probably just wanted to run to their family and friends and back to this new community they got reinstated to as fast as possible. I'm not sure that it was super personal, but what I know from what Jesus says next is what this one foreigner did was incredibly important to the equation of keeping mercy in full view. And it's this thing called gratitude and thanksgiving. He says, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where's the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he says something beautiful to him. Rise and go. Your faith has done what? It's made you well. I don't fully understand all the implications of what's happening there. I read a bunch of theologians and commentaries this week to try and get a grasp of it. And there was a general consensus of this fact. One one theologian said it this way, and then I kept seeing a reoccurring consensus. They said, Ten lepers got healed that day, but one got saved. Now, I don't know if that's true. They're smarter than me. Whatever. I'm not going to make that declaration. Because I kind of think maybe their faith to just get up and walk to the priests was enough faith to be saved. If a thief on a cross could give one statement of faith to Jesus and got to go with them to paradise that day, why not when they got up and walked towards the priest in obedience and were healed? Maybe that saved, I don't know, above my pay grade. So I'll stay where I can be bold. This is how I was taught to preach. 
right? Be humble where you're not sure and be bold where you're sure. Here's where I'll be bold because I am sure. There's something that undeniably went 2.0 and next level when he came back in gratitude. Just like obedience that we saw in verse 14, gratitude has healing properties. That next level, your walk with God. There is something in gratefulness. In, in, in the hardest seasons is when you need this most too. So it'll be difficult. But in your heart, some of you that are the rock and the hard place people today, some of you at the end of your rope today, one of the most healing things you can do for your situation right now, when I'm guessing most of it is out of your control, the greatest thing you can do is intentionally and willfully start to stir up the goodness of God. Start to remind yourself about all he's done for you. Start to think about all the mercy that he has shown you on your life. Start to be thankful for things as base and simple as air and breath and food to eat. And we all got clothes and we all had cars or vehicles or bikes to get here or someone was able to give us a ride. Start to start small and then just keep going. And before you know it, there is a healing thing that starts to take place when we praise God. This is why every time we sing before we preach, it's not because we've been taught that's what you do at church. You sing some nice songs. No, we come here because praise has healing properties. When we begin to open our mouths and we begin to praise God, it's one thing to do it privately and that's beautiful. But when we come as a collective like these lepers together and we all agree that there's no more beautiful name on planet earth than Jesus, he has no rivals. He has no equals. Now and forever, God, you reign. We start to sing stuff like that. When all the other songs we start to sing that stir up gratitude and stir up worship and stir up thanksgiving, there is healing that is happening whether you see it or feel it or sense it or not. I've seen it too many times. I've seen it in my own life. I played a worship song in my hotel room this morning and on the way here, and I played it in my office uh, back there right before I walked out, and I just, my heart was literally changing because I was attaching my heart to the truth of the words of that worship song I was listening to. Healing's happening. Beauty's happening. Where am I at? I got 25 seconds, y'all. I'm gonna do the fastest. So, like, Okay, I will. Thank you. She said it. She's the boss lady here, so whatever. No, I, I want to end with this, though. I want to end with a quote. One of my favorite pastors who I've learned probably more from than almost anyone ever. Uh, I've never met him because he was dead long before I was alive. But I've read more from him than almost any other theologian. His name's Charles Spurgeon. And I was reading one of you. I'm with you. I was reading his, as I do often when I'm trying to learn a text, I was reading one of the sermons he preached on this text and at some point he just stopped and it was almost like it was a prayer and he just said this, put that quote up there. He said, oh, that our thanksgiving were as loud as our clamoring requests. And that's a convicting statement. And I don't know the full context in which he said that to the group, but what I do know is, man, I want, I want as I keep growing in my walk with Christ, I want my thanksgiving to start passing up and getting way more dominant in my walk with God than my requesting. We're supposed to request. Don't stop. What we did earlier was beautiful to God. The Apostle Paul said it simply this way, but in everything, by prayer and petition, so requesting's a good thing, but then he says, comma, what's he say next? With thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
when I request something to God, it's, 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 it's helpful because I know I'm on the record with someone who can fix it now. But when I start to thank God, faith starts to rise for him to fix that. Faith starts to rise for him to start to move. Faith starts to remind me of the goodness of God in the land of the living, and I'm gonna see it again in my situation and in your situation. I've never, this is gonna sound so cocky, give me a second to give context. I have never once in my 26 years of following Jesus ever quit loving him. I've never once lost my love for Jesus in 26 years. Here's why, before that sounds cocky, I don't think you have either, however long you've been following Jesus. Go back. I thought about it all week so I could say this honestly. Have I, have I ever quit loving Jesus? No, never once. Have I ever doubted Jesus? Never once. Have I ever wanted to stop walking with Jesus? Not once in my 26 years of following him. But can I tell you what I've done a million times in my walk with Jesus in the last 26 years? I've let mercy get real far back in the rearview mirror. I've let the miracle of salvation get lost in my story because of whatever's right in front of me. And that's what I came to today to say is what if we as a people could just say this week until we meet again, I am going to get mercy right back in full view of my life. I'm gonna make it the anthem and the theme of my life again. I'm gonna stir up all of the goodness of God that I have tasted and seen, no matter how hard life is, no matter what difficult things I am walking through. This week, I am gonna get mercy back in full view and, and I am going to give God the thanks and the praise that he deserves and you will watch healing, his healing properties start to do its work in body and in mind and in spirit. And listen to me, you deserve it. And God wants that kind of healing ultimate healing though is receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior tapping into that mercy is it not church I remember 26 years ago when I had my moment of faith about a need of Jesus and said master I have leprosy all over my heart and it is going to kill me it's trying to kill me would you please heal me from this leprosy that we call sin would you please forgive me of my sins? Would you blot them out? Would you write my name in your book? Would you wash me, even though I'm coming to you crimson red, stained with my mistakes and failures and sins, would you please wash me white as snow? I'm confessing my sin to you, God. Would you cleanse me and purify me through the blood of Jesus of all unrighteousness? And you know what Jesus' response is to that 100% of the time is, absolutely, that's my chief mission. That's what I came to do. I just was waiting for your faith to recognize that without my mercy, you're toast. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here this morning and you don't have a faith in Jesus like we've been singing about and talking about today it is my absolute joy and honor to just give you a moment to say Jesus is calling the Holy Spirit brought you here today because he is wooing you <laughs> the creator of the universe feels necessary to you're so special to him that he woos you he puts you in positions to receive his mercy. He loves you. He wants to show you his mercy. And all he asks of us is that we recognize that in our hearts there is leprosy. There is this thing called sin. And Jesus came on the cross to absolutely destroy the work of sin in your life. To crush it. To end it. To bury it so that you could be raised to life a completely new creation. 
There is nothing on planet earth you would do better and more important than today receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're in here and you say, today's my day, the Spirit is doing something in my heart. I don't fully understand it, but I totally right now trust it. Would you just do this as an act of faith? Would you just raise your hand? That's just you symbolizing saying, Master, have mercy on me. Would you just raise your hand? If it's you, keep it up. Yeah, I see the hands. Thank you. Yeah, I see the hands. Praise God. If it's you today, praise God. Hands on every side of the room, man. You, this has just made my month right now. So let's pray for him, Forest City. Jesus, seal them right now in you. Seal them in your Holy Spirit. Let them start to immediately, from the minute those hands raised, start to know exactly not what they say they are or think they are, but what you say they are. In the powerful, blessed name of Jesus, I pray right now, God, that you would just pour out your spirit on these people who raise their hand by faith. Show them mercy. Cleanse them. Heal them. Thank you, God, for your salvation. Jesus, thank you. The name above every name, the one we came to worship today, we thank you that today people crossed over from death to life. And God, for the rest of us who had long already done that, God, I pray healing as they walk out of these doors. Hope as they walk out of these doors. Help as they walk out of these doors. Life and life to the fullest as they walk out of these doors till we meet again. Jesus, it's all for you. We pray this in your precious name. And all my friends said, guys, it's been so good to be back with you. I love you.